to this our sixth episode of the eclectic folk podcast i'm your host mr cat today we're joined by someone going by the name of mr octopus he's a eco village activist something that i haven't heard of before uh at the start of the covid pandemic he retrofitted a van and started exploring the americas he worked towards contributing to the setup of eco villages in costa rica as well as British Columbia. He has spent a lot of time also studying systems theory and spiral dynamics, which if you're as clueless as I am about what that means, this might be a good podcast for you to listen to. He started a YouTube channel recently, Being Untamed, which I'll link in the show notes if you're interested. And yeah, I hope you enjoy. Hello, welcome back to the Eclectic Folk Podcast, and I'm joined today with uh, our guest, Mr. Octopus. Um, so, Mr. Octopus, why did you choose the name Mr. Octopus, if I, if I may ask? Do you like octopuses or octopi? Yeah, it's funny. I don't typically like uh, identify with animals and stuff, but there's always that question uh, of what animal you would identify with, and that's something that always kind of came up. They're intelligent creatures. They seem like aliens. I kind of feel like an outsider in this world. So. <laughs> cool. I've always admired the octopus too. Um, they are. They do seem like aliens. They're really intelligent. They feel empathy. I think. Have you ever seen that movie uh, where like this diver in South the Africa? Octopus teacher. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was a good one. That was really cool. Yeah. And I don't eat octopuses anymore as a result. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mr. Octopus, um, could you maybe briefly introduce yourself, please? Who are you, where you yeah. come from, and, and what are you doing before we go in more in depth? Yeah, I uh, grew up in Ontario, in Kingston, Ontario. Um, been playing guitar for a while, um, engineering, uh, doing like software simulations engineering. Uh, been involved in kind of a solutions-oriented activism for a while now through a resource-based economy or zeitgeist movement. Um, it's really, like, invoked me to seek through, like, uh, engineering and systems theory and try to find more solutions to this world in many ways through this time. Um, so, yeah, through that, I'm doing Digital Nomad, live in, uh, in my van that I just built and down in Mexico at the moment. Right on. Cool. So... Um... You grew up in Kingston, Ontario. Did you live there all your life? Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I lived there and then I went to university there as well. And then now I'm much more worldly than I used to be. Where have you gone since then? Uh, just through the Americas, really. Yeah. So what possessed you to... Um, I, I want to come back to the whole systems theory thing too, because I don't know if I fully understand that and maybe my guests don't either, but... Um, just to give more context on, on like who you are now, um, where did you get this idea to become a digital nomad, to buy a van, and did you renovate it yourself, or was it sort of already built to to live in? Yeah, I renovated it myself. Um, definitely screams engineers, buses, lots of things that flip out, and it's a little transformer kind of. Oh, that's um, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> kind of want to see it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely, I feel like COVID was a big game changer for a lot of people. And some people, uh, you know, repressed more and stayed inside more and traveled less. But uh, some people were doing the opposite. So it's a big opening for me. I was also one of the ones who did the opposite. Although I didn't, I, I the start of COVID, I, I also had the traveler's bug. I was planning on traveling, um, doing a round the world trip, actually, uh, that year. But obviously COVID had to stop that. So I, I did a round the country trip and... I bought, I, I thought about buying a van and renovating it, but I'm not super handy and I wanted to get better at it, but I just was like, I want to travel now. I don't want to wait. 
I have to go right now. So I ended up buying a, a travel trailer and I drove across mm. the country and explored the country in a travel trailer with like a pulling, pulling it with like a F-150 and a Ford F-150. Um, yeah, so I totally great. get that. Was it hard um, traveling internationally at that time? I was a little worried, but uh, like Mexico is super open and uh, it's been, been easy. Were you only, in, but you went to like Central America too, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, all the way down to Nicaragua. And yeah. Just running away from the rain at the moment. Were you ever concerned? Because um, was this during sort of like the height of COVID or was this more recently? Uh, so yeah, I, I moved into the van at the beginning of COVID, like built it, and then I moved to BC. Mm. Um, so spending that first winter in BC uh, in the van wasn't the greatest, but. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> My, I did the first winter in the travel trailer, and then after that, I just I put the trailer in storage when it's cold, and I just find a, a sublet or something. It's way more comfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's really interesting how things happen because, like, immediately after building that van, uh, I started working uh, on other like eco village startups and other projects, um, which seemed to align so much with like the resource-based economy and other activism stuff I was doing. Um, seems like a lot of people are looking for a new way of life. So. Okay. So let's get into this, uh, activism stuff you're, you're doing, cause you've referenced that a couple of times. Uh, what activism stuff are you doing? Yeah, it's definitely multifaceted, um, like resource-based economy. You might be able to, some of your guests might be familiar with and uh there's this like let's assume that they're not i have a very wide array of listeners who (laughs) most of them i mean many of my guests are not particularly technical um i've had like uh kind of like a like most recently my guest was a journalist for example yeah i just uh the zeitgeist movement was like a documentary that really went viral uh, a decade or so ago Uh, yeah i kind of recall that yeah and uh, yeah, they definitely spurred that movement of trying to create like a, a new economic system, new socioeconomic system. But, um, you know, at the beginning of anyone's activist career, it seems like, oh, this is the solution. I'm going to go for it and, you know, fix the, the technology or fix the economic system or fix the polit- political system or the look inwards or whatever. And so it really, you come to realize it's just every single facet of society we have to kind of re-question. Um, so and in a part like those eco villages they are just like creating you can think of it like creating every aspect of society again in a little like parallel society however you want to do that oh that's really awesome um so if you're doing this kind of activism full time but are you also able to collect payment for the work you do right so i'm i'm still working as an engineer on the side oh okay like as as my full time thing right okay okay so it's sort of like a passion project the the eco-villages and such. Yeah, it's the culmination or the output of a lot of, you know, uh, research and trying to get things to, to work in the old system and then realizing it's just a lot easier when you live communally and you can just create projects and have other events and not have to, you know, really interface with that old world of liability and buying stuff. I'm honestly pretty sick of that shit too. Um, what, how does like an eco-village, like the kind of thing that you're working on now, differ from the sort of like hippie communes of old, of like the 60s and 70s? Yeah, I feel like they were like the pioneers in, in that, but they had no one really to like establish any foundation or they didn't have the science of it or, uh, you know, all the ecology science and stuff was just kind of starting up then in the psychedelic renaissance, all these things. So now we have that as a little bit more established basis um, to build from. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot more like practicality with it, but there's many ways that they differ um, in terms of like, you can have more of a smart village. Some people like to call it, which is a little bit more like tech involved, a little bit more, mm. um, you know, you still use crypto you, or if you want like all the different kinds of new economic systems, there's a mm. whole science with that. And you still use a lot of technology within one of those smart communes, as you say, do, would they have their own internal currency, like their own internal cryptocurrency, for example? Yeah, like yes and no, but I think generally, yes. Could you, could you, sorry, go ahead. A lot of people are getting into the NFT world, which I'm not really uh, too sold on. Um, 
and even with crypto in general, I'm like slightly skeptical on how much people are just using it like an investment. It's mm. like it, it has potentially uh, the option to, to redesign our entire economic system, but people are just looking for like capitalism 2.0 and just mm. to get another, uh, another stock market. So yeah, I haven't dived into that world too much. I see. Yeah. I think the intention of it, um, like Bitcoin was intended as a act of rebellion against the bank bailouts of 2008, um, many believe. But because I think of the nature of so many cryptos as a deflationary currency rather than an inflationary one, it kind of incentivizes like not spending, but holding because the price will just continue to increase. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's unfortunate because like the Bitcoin in general, like when you go to transfer it, it uh, uses a lot of resources and a lot of money. There's like different options, but in, in general, um, the point is that if it's not being used as a currency, like you said, then it's not really, uh, yeah, it's just an investment. So. Yeah, it's not fulfilling. Um, I, I, I looked into like Satoshi Nakamoto as much as you can. He's a mysterious figure, but um, the Genesis block, the first, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like the first mine block of Bitcoin in, in the, I think in the, what, like a hashed message, if you decrypt it, it's it points to an article from the Financial Times saying second bailout of banks is near or something like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so um, many people theorize that this person, whoever created it, was outraged by this, and this was a response to that. So with that context, I always sort of really resonated with the idealistic view of cryptocurrency to be a big financial game changer. But I, and I've worked in the industry myself for a time, and I was really turned off by a lot of the greed and shitty scams and just awfulness of a lot of the stuff that happens in that industry. But there is still some good too. There are some, still some true believers. So I try not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, I guess. Yeah, I think it's definitely along that trend, like, uh, you know, this ties back into systems theory and eco village. And just, I feel like everything, all the, all these sciences were kind of converging onto a more decentralized uh, way of organizing. And Bitcoin is at least not a, using the centralized bank system. So it's like, you know, on the way, it's a good, good tool potentially. Yeah. Not even just Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies too. Um, frankly, I find Bitcoin a little bit dated. Like there's much more energy efficient options out there today, much less wasteful mm -hmm. and faster. Um, could you sort of walk me, like walk us through what an eco village looks like when, when you come in, what do you see? What, what are the interactions like? I'm just having trouble sort of picturing it really. What, what does it look like? What do they do? How is, what makes that thing distinct from other commune type, uh, situations? Yeah, I can, at least at the very least, I can describe like what my avenue is from it and how I see them. Um, but they, they take any and all iterations, which I think is actually the, the value is that they can take all these different shapes because like in this time of transition, I think we need to like experiment with how we mm. live. Mm. So um, maybe you a, could touch on feature. one. Have you, you've worked with some directly, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't have to so, say like, if, I mean, you're welcome to share exactly which ones they are if you'd like to share their names. But if you don't want to, you could just talk about what what yeah. they're like. Yeah, so there's like all these different phases, it seems like. You know, I'm starting to realize that these are like decade-long projects and um, it's a big commitment with it. But at least it's starting them. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people can just jump in. But um, there's that initial, you know, you still need to interface with the old system. You still need to like buy the land and figure out who owns it, even though you want to have maybe a little more shared ownership mm. and, um, you know, the investment side. And then that kind of ties into how you develop and build these things. And some of them are kind of tying into pre-existing retreat centers or something like that. And some people want to just start fresh, mm. but so there's, you know, that there's that building phase. Um, a lot of them, of course, are going to be trying to be a little more sustainable building development and stuff. Um, do do you build like then, many little cabins or is it one large building with many units inside 
Yeah, it's interesting because like I was involved in one in BC and then in, in one in Costa Rica. Um, so when you think about how you build in BC, it's going to be completely different, not mm-hmm. just because of like the the temperature and whatever, but even just like the infrastructure you'd need with the electricity and, and propane or whatever you're using. Um, whereas down in Costa Rica, you can put a bit of like bamboo sticks up and you got yourself a shelter and then just mm-hmm. have like a communal area if you want. And, um, but yeah, some of them tend more to like purely communal some of them tend more to like uh, individual houses and with their own things Um, but yeah and then typically they're going to have some kind of like business model it could just be like a group of digital nomads coming together and there's no real business with it but you know a lot of them are going to be retreat centers or there's one in bali that i'm kind of interested in is uh, a little more school oriented so parents would come there with uh, their kids to bring them to the school and the parents would work there being a digital nomad or, or in the school, um, which I think is a good model. Are these um, like the one in BC or the one in Costa Rica, are they centralized? Like, is it a small group of people who own it and own the land, own the property, or is it like people buy in and, and it's sort of distributed equally amongst all constituents or people living there? Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to each. Um, like the one in BC, it was more like you owned a share in the company, mm. which I think um, is at least fair. Like the company itself would own the land. Um, there's a lot of issues with like how to build these and how to have them like legally recognized because like inevitably we don't want to just have a company, right? But the company is a lot more easy, a lot easier to like set up than to set up like a non-for-profit or any other like um cooperative or anything like that mm. so that was the route we take we took at least for that first phase of investment and building just to like call it a company like a, from a legal standpoint mm. and then we can like convert that into a not-for-profit or a co-op or, or whatever um, but at least with that basis of like you want to share in the company it's like okay it seems fair um, there's other models of like this is the land we're going to split it up and you buy a plot of land um, which is more like the old system, but it also gives you that security and, you, you know, there's benefits to that too. Um, but then like long-term it's like, well, how do you sell that? Is there like restrictions upon like trying to keep it still an eco village and not just, you know, anyone can buy it. There's a, you know, there's an intention between the, and the, the culture and that community they want to preserve. Right. Mm. Um, if you were to start an eco village today, what would the first step be? let's say in yes. in Canada, for example, like if I'm interested yeah. and I kind of am, if I am interested in starting it, um, to give you a little bit of context, I was considering buying land this year and maybe starting like a little tiny home community on it. But as I started investigating uh, land in the area that I wanted, I found that either if it was conveniently close to the <laughs> the town I'm living in, it would be almost prohibitively expensive for one person to, for, for me anyway, for one person like me to afford. Um, if I was out, maybe like 20 minutes, I could afford something, but then zoning came into play. So I had to find something unzoned um, in order to put a tiny home community because the this is sort of like, I don't know if the laws right now are built for something like that. And I suspect probably they're not also not built for eco-villages either. And um, it was just so hard to really find this idea in my head of like exactly what kind of land I wanted that was also zoned appropriately and also in a, an affordable price range or like a reasonable price. Um so it was so difficult that I had to defer this, and maybe I won't do this. I don't know. I still want to, but at least not this year. Um, yeah. No, those are great questions, and like that was the big challenge. We spent like a good eight months or so finding the land for the one in BC, and I think potentially that's why a lot of these are starting up in Costa Rica or Mexico or whatever. There's a lot more relaxed laws with that, hmm. as well as just different easier building living conditions. But hmm. um, but it's it's interesting, yeah, because like the law in Canada doesn't recognize these. And, you know, often if you have tiny homes or other things established, um, it's not, you know, under the right permits and it's not legal, but um, very frustrating because like this individualistic lifestyle we're living and the way the zoning laws 
um, work, like maintain the system of mm. you know, living in. So mm. um, ultimately, ultimately, like you know, having land that is shared is so affordable, really, and so easy to do. Um, it you know shouldn't be something that's expensive to do. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, regarding your question, definitely zoning is a big thing. Um, both of these two projects in BC and Costa Rica were like super ambitious, and I'm starting to think maybe just starting small scale. Um, with the group of people you share a little bit more intention and value with and um, not trying to you know go big and, and then bust mm. so what what do you think is an appropriate amount of acreages for a fledgling eco village yeah i guess it kind of ties into the other aspects of eco villages which is um, very much the trend of like permaculture and having some kind of like food sovereignty to mm. it uh, which would shape how much land you would need. Um, I think these are great experiments and they can happen at all scales. And um, the one in BC were like, okay, maybe we can buy a small plot of land. And then as long as there's like crown land or some other opportunity to buy stuff in the surrounding area, we can expand. There's some issues with crown land, but, um, but yeah, being able to expand it is important. But um, I don't know. I think these are good projects and like to understand how all the aspects of this work legal and not, but then ultimately it's like, if we really want to shift how people live, how most people live, it's going to have to go into, you know, even the city or something. So like speaking of how big the land is, it's like, well, hopefully we can Mm. kind of use the same model in like, I don't know what apartment or Mm. some kind of city block. If you buy it all up, I don't know. In like in, in your perfect eco village, how, separate would it be from the like quote-unquote system would would it be completely self-sufficient and self-contained yeah i don't don't think we should be like isolationist with our approach like um you know at least the one in costa rica was like way up in the forest and uh very isolated Mm. which maybe it's good for a retreat center but i think there is some value to like kind of being integrated into the community um if you want any businesses or any other the people to live there long term to be reliant on, uh, you know, maybe a job in the city or mm. other other things. I think it's important. So typically, people are not just living off the land and working within the community. They're still coming and going, doing some grocery shopping in the in the city or in the town local to them. They might be still be working remotely and such. Yeah, I've I've heard of some eco villages like everything you own type thing or any other salary you make has to go back into the eco village. And like, I don't know, <laughs> I understand wanting to be a little more equal and not have like inequality in our, in our, um, in our earnings. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some danger to that. Um, it just, it just sounds more isolationist, you know, yeah. you're fully reliant on their system. So. Right. Do you, have you, have you noticed this sort of trend of eco villages is this something that's increasing in popularity? Yeah, hundred percent. Of course, like I'm getting into this world now, but I was also, um, you know, in that activist world for a while, um, recognizing that these were the solution. And then I didn't really see many really at the time. Of course, they've been happening, I guess, since the '60s or, or earlier. Really, actually, I shouldn't even say that. It's literally how all of humanity has been living <laughs> for all of our lives. It's just a weird <laughs> blip in time that we're living the way we are. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a, a resurgence. Let's talk about the activism a little bit. So you saw the movie Zeitgeist, and I must confess, I don't think I... I remember when this came out, I was pretty young, and I had heard about it, and I had some friends that watched it, but I don't think I ever have. What impacted you about this movie? How did it change the course of your life? Yeah, so, you know, it's a movie, but then there's like a trilogy and then there's tons of podcasts and uh, other creators, you know, the, the Peter Joseph is just like the, the filmmaker for that, but um, it's a very decentralized community and everyone's sharing a lot of stuff. Um, so it's hard to, to pinpoint any specific moment, but um, yeah, I view it just as pivotal as systems theory or as like spiral dynamics, which we can get into too, is just... Um, it just like opened your mind up or opened my mind up about, um, yeah, just a completely different way of thinking and different realization of how everything's interconnected and 
a new understanding of yourself, a new understanding of like the value uh, of anything. Hmm. Uh, um, I think before you said that eco-villages could be part of the solution, what do you think is the problem? Yeah, and like that ties into the Zeitgeist movement, movement as well. And essentially, I think, like I said, we, we want diversity in how we are experimenting, right? I mentioned that earlier. Sure. And I think that's the problem currently with capitalism is that it mm. necessitates this inflationary thing based on the interest system, based on the fact that there's more debt than there is money mm. that we keep needing to like expand and expand, mm. which is the problem, I think is the core of the problem because it makes the entire world like, as a whole, but also like more aspects of our internal lives being commodified. Mm. And then they're like just highly unstable. And like, if you have an entire globe that's running the same operating system, uh, of course it's going to fail anytime you change. And then when that fails, now you have an existential risk. Mm. So it's like run capitalism in this country, run any other kind of uh, operating system in another country, whatever one of them fails, at least the whole species isn't dying. And right. And the whole planet, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so let's come back to, you said systems theory, and what was the other uh, topic you mentioned? Yeah, spiral dynamics. So um, so systems theory is like an overarching like new way of science, and you'll see it in like cognitive science and permaculture. You'll see it in spiral dynamics. You'll see it in zeitgeist movement and like resource-based economies. Um, a bunch of you know, new uh, insights from all fields of science are converging on this, which is like decentralization. It's a little bit more like, essentially it's process oriented. It's not like product oriented. It's more like understands the relationships between things instead of the things themselves. And um, yeah, there's a lot you can say on it, but it's, it just sees how things adapt and evolve instead of the more like materialist static paradigm. paradigm. Mm. Um. Do you study that yourself? Yeah, so I'm working in simulations engineering, uh, which is systems theory. Like uh, systems theory came from a lot of places, from bi biology or ecology or electrical engineering. Hmm. Um, so that was my avenue from electrical engineering. But, uh... Okay. And sorry, what was the other? What Spiral dynamics. Right. Yeah, these are all very big topics. Um, but as a quick description of spiral dynamics, um, it's, it was developed by like a psychologist and a sociologist and probably a few others, but so it essentially it describes like the levels of development and the ways um, we get stuck in certain paradigms and certain traps along the way. But it, it's brilliant because it shows it both in your psychological or like your individual state, as well as like how society develops. And I think since then it's further described into just like an idea can be stuck in this certain paradigm, a certain value system, right? And mm. then, you know, as an individual, we're just a collection of ideas, or as a society, we're also just a much larger collection of ideas. Um, but yeah, there's just like certain things that are just unquestioned or taboo, or we just can't even think about. And, mm. you know, it's like the classic, like spiritual awakening type thing that will get you like passed up uh, through these paradigms. Mm. Um, it's like super elegant and, uh, once you see it, you just, I don't know, can, can ask yourself different questions and can um, see the world in a different light. Hmm. Is there a book you could recommend that, that, that covers the topic succinctly? Um, there's a few people I would recommend instead of books, I guess. Uh, Ken Wilbur, I believe his name. Yeah, well, maybe we'll add it to the links, but I think that's his name. Uh, it's like integral theory, very tied to spiral dynamics. Um, hmm. But I got introduced to it from actualize.org. He did a series on spiral dynamics. Um, he, yeah, he goes pretty deep, and it was a great introduction to it. I see. Yeah, I'll look it up. That sounds really interesting. I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of. I think our present society versus times in the past. The I often think about the idea of like a heretic or or how our society labels heretics. And, you know, in the medieval ages, it would be questioning church orthodoxy, basically. 
There was a religious movement called the, I think, the Cathars that were systematically annihilated by the church and who were really practicing a kind of more free and open spiritual Christianity at the time, as I understand it, although I'm not an expert. And um, we've replaced the word heretic today with different words for essentially (laughs) thought crimes, I suppose, or just not agreeing with the way the system, I think, thinks you should be thinking. So I I think about this question a lot, and uh, it sounds like it does sort of tie into what you're talking about. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Because with spiral dynamics, like essentially, if you want to transcend these paradigms, there's a certain aspect that you need to like reject the old paradigm, but Mm. then not like entirely reject it. Like you said, not like throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sure. Um, So there's this common illusion or common um, uh, analogy of like the pendulum with the spiral dynamics. So you're going to go from like one extreme to another. Mm. Um, One of the most predominant ones uh, is like the individualist or collective um, pendulum going from both sides. So yeah, you'll just reject this collectivist, be hyper-individualistic, see that that's not working and then just go to the other side of the pendulum. And like, ultimately it's like, we don't want to be trapped in these ideologies. So like, hopefully we'll just like kind of end all these extremes that we're getting to not to be centrist, but you know, just to like, um, just to be able to integrate and transcend these better. I'd like, I just think, um, in my perfect world, uh, I would like to see sort of monolithic states or even monolithic social constructs, as you say, decompose and uh, like have a diversity of societies being able to flourish who operate on different principles and have different values. I think that would be best for humanity what what's your opinion on on does that does that sort of vibe with you yeah absolutely i I don't know we have this like myth of progress that we want to get everyone on the same board and like there's some value to be able to like communicate across cultures where like in the past you couldn't but i think from like an ecological and like resilience standpoint like we need to be experimenting we need to like be vastly different and um I don't know. We don't have to agree because we're, I don't know if there's so many different uh, things humanity is working on. Yeah. Do you see the, like the mainstream system as an oppressive force? Like, do you think it will be possible to forge distinct societies within it without it being shut down? Um, in terms of like mainstream, uh, in what way? Like, uh... like the, the mainstream system, like the system, the, Global hegemony. (laughs) Right. (laughs) We'll just say, for example, in Canada, the Canadian state, like the Canadian state, if, like, do you think that all parallel systems, parallel societies can exist within that state and flourish without being suppressed? Yeah, there's a bunch of interesting ways that you can suppress change. Um, Some of them are like direct. And I, I think we've, hopefully gone away from the the more direct like you know kill the messenger type of thing um there's just so many other ways we're, we're stifling uh, change and like we talked about uh, even zoning which is just a small thing but it's like you know they're they're going to come with guns or some kind of threat of violence um if you try to fully question the system but um but i think more like insidious is like just completely wasting our time with like 40 hour work weeks that don't do anything and just, you know, wasting our time with like the distraction or attention economy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just, uh, you know, and other things of like not revealing uh, certain like documents or whatever for like 20 years that were uh, classified um, that just prevents the, the generation that was relevant for whenever that happened to, to really act on it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these are just like more insidious ways. Yeah, no, I I think I think when I think of how the, like the state might suppress uh, parallel or alternative societies, I'm not really thinking necessarily through violent oppression or or calling in the army. Um, but I think if it comes to that, like at the end of the day, if you're just saying like I own this land, whether it's zoned one way or not, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to build my own society there, or like. And if people want to come without coercion, like in my opinion, 
um, it's no business of the state. But if you try to go against it, like police will come, maybe. If you resist the police, force will be used. So the threat of violence is sort of implicit if you if you um yeah if you go too far against the grain i guess or if you disobey the laws yeah like it's interesting because like there's a certain reason why these laws are there right like if you have a piece of land and you're trying to sell it well you don't want to have just some hack job of a house built that's going to like collapse or be asbestos or something right right so there's certain reasons why like we want to have like certain regulations but like it just it's refined us so much into a box of like oh it's just about buying and selling mm. um you know it's just about property it's in, like we all know right the 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 laws just keep um moving closer and closer towards like the the elite's value system right their way of thinking like, it's just about money and property and mm. there's a lot more we can be doing do you feel optimistic on the future or like the near or long-term future yeah um Yeah, just just the thought of like optimism or pessimism is kind of challenging because it. Um, I'm more of just like a doer and just like try to be engaged, and we'll have some hard times, but then we'll get through it, and something's gonna happen. It's just like you know, you could have been very pessimistic about COVID, but then you see the light in all these other areas. So it's really just about how you adapt to to it. Uh, yeah, sure. I guess I guess what I'm asking is, you have your ideas of. <laughs> what would be good and healthy for this earth, right? Do you think that we are straying further from that as time goes on, or we're getting closer to that direction as time goes on, even just, even if just a little bit? Yeah, I think like all of the above, like even with like what we think of, uh, you know, new economic systems or new ways of living, right? So I think we're going to see a lot more emergence of uh, eco-villages and, um, but we'll also see a lot more uh, emergence of like authoritarianism and other uh, things. I think they'll happen at the same time, right? Mm. And uh, at the same, you know, in the same light, it's like we're seeing more mindfulness practices and stuff um, that we can get away from this distraction economy, but we're also seeing the opposite of you know, shortening attention spans and uh, just a non-rigorousness with uh, the way we interact. So, yeah, I think both. Hmm. That's a good answer. If you, if you were, if a person was curious about living in an eco-village, what route should they go? Like, how could they go about finding one that aligns with their interests are there many to choose from or is, is there just a few in any given yeah like like i mentioned like some of them are very ambitious and they're large scale and some of them are just very small scale so um you know if you if you have the means or the knowledge to just do a small scale homestead kind of thing um could be very interesting too um but also like i mentioned it's essentially like we're redesigning all of society. So you can think of like every single part of society from, you know, caretaking and education and permaculture and whatever life support we need. Right. Mm. So like, you know, I, I, there is some, some ability for anyone just to like pick up these kind of new emerging skills. Like, a, you know, it's not like a job, but it's kind of like uh, a certain skill set of, of knowledge. That's good. You know, it just seems a little bit more like a, a new paradigm of that, of these old uh, jobs. Um, if you know what I mean so yeah if you just like focus on that I think you'll be like valuable to these eco villages and then you don't really have to worry about like um, that sense of security of like where's my house going to be or what where I'm going to land mm. um, there's just something comforting of knowing okay I'm, I'm valuable to this cause and I'll find something but how do you how do you find an eco village in the first place is there a, like some sort of website with an aggregate of of options do you just go on go- like google or whatever search engine you use and just search out like eco village near me yeah um I, like I, I knew the first one from bc was from the podcast and then just word of mouth for the second one um but there's definitely um, lists of existing and established eco villages um I'll, I'll share you the link later but of course some a lot of them aren't going to be on there and a lot of them are just emerging right now too and will you yourself be living in one or are you going to are you going to continue the 
nomadic life in your van? Yeah, um, I think long term, like I kind of touched on like the, the school model of an eco village. I think that's where I'm going to start putting my energy. Mm. Um, that's like a, it's definitely a land based thing, right? If you're doing like an educational model, but um, there's also other avenues of that of doing other like wisdom practices that are more like kind of adult school. You can think of it um, just, a, just education and awareness about like a new socioeconomic system, mm. um, as well as just like, doing the engineering for a lot of these eco villages. So like to answer your question, I think I'll probably jump around for a while living in my bus for you know, however long, just uh, helping facilitate these eco villages. Mm. That's kind of the point. So with the one in Costa Rica, how did you, how did you discover that one? How did you end up working with that one? And do you speak Spanish? Was language a barrier at all? Oh yeah. So like one thing about Costa Rica is just full of Canadians and Americans that have bought up land, um, <laughs> which is like uh, questionable, but also, I don't know, I'm not going to get into that. It's <laughs> probably okay. It, yeah. It's already happened. Mm. Um, so yeah, the, for the local team, the, the language barrier wasn't a problem, but um, for traveling. Yeah, of course. Um, and yeah, I found that out just, was kind of very coincidental. I, uh, more or less moved away from the, the BC project and realized it's not my path and wanted to do other things. And then um, yeah, it really wasn't that long. And I was just um, doing some yoga in uh, Kelowna, BC and just met a guy and he just talked about how he has friends doing the, pretty much the exact same thing I was already doing. So just, yeah. And you just went there? <laughs> and then, yeah, was, I think actually, so you mentioned how, how do people actually start um, living in these eco villages like it's funny because van life was a big trend and now it seems like the trend is eco villages hmm. and like it wasn't wasn't planned and it, it wasn't even my plan uh, when i built my van but i think that's such a way to be adaptive hmm. um to live within your means right to like own a house and be comfortable um without paying for much but also be adaptive and to what city you want to live into hmm. and um that's what allows me to, to move around uh, explore these projects so did you drive all the way to Costa Rica from British Columbia? Yeah, long story short, yeah. <laughs> how is it? How is that? Uh, how is it like doing the van life thing in Central America? You said also you were in Nicaragua too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, a lot easier in ways than I thought. Uh, I definitely a uh, decent amount of valuables and like everything I own is in that, that bus. So I was worried about it getting broken into, but uh, they're super friendly and I had no issues uh, with the cops or the locals. And like you can park up anywhere where it's just a little harder in Canada. Mm. Um, in the States, I find it like particularly easily. I don't know. You just have this like vast openness uh, with a lot of deserts. And I don't know, there just seems to be roads everywhere. You can just park up in Canada, at least like BC, there's mountains and, and stuff. It's harder to get around and find a good spot still very manageable mm. do you have any like pets with you no that, there is some like issues with the borders with pets but oh yeah do you feel it's uh do you feel ever like lonely traveling these long distances on your own yeah um definitely like an introvert and just uh, very focused on my own project so uh, it's fine in that regard but um I'm sure many digital nomads will agree of just these like one time, well, actually as a, the movie fight club calls them single serving friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah it can be yeah, challenging and wanting to have some uh, long-term friends, which is, you know, perfect for eco villages. So yeah, I didn't, you know, at least that, that side of life is resolved. Right on. So right now you're in Mexico. What brought you there? Yeah. So, um, it's been six months, I guess, so far, and uh, it's a lot, a lot of drive, and I took a pretty quick route on my way down, so hoping to spend a little bit more time and take it slower now, um, now that I don't really have, like, a, any meetups and eco-village things to do. I'm just doing my own thing, but, um, but yeah, I'm just really running away from the, the hurricane season that's coming in, so. Oh, yeah. It's a little better in Mexico, at least, than Nicaragua. Oh, okay. Where do they come from, the... Uh... I guess the Atlantic, right? Yeah, I don't know. Um, but Costa Rica is particularly bad uh, for rain. Hmm. 
Hmm. Have you discovered any gems in Mexico so far? Yeah, too many to count. Can you? What's your favorite one so far? Um, I think just the state of Chiapas is really nice. Um, San Cristobal is where I'm at right now. Hmm. Uh, just a lot of a lot of cool like mountain water features and caves and canyons. And where do you see yourself going next? Is your sort of contract or whatever it is with the Costa Rica Eco Village concluded? Do you have a another eco village you'd like to start working in next, or whatever? Yeah. So for the remainder of this year, I just have my own like personal projects um, related to activism and, and music and stuff uh, that I want to do. Um, but it's not that I'm like going away exactly from this Costa Rica project. Mm. Um, we just had a big meetup, and these things take a long time to, to really get any land. But um, I'm also not like wholly committed to that and uh, seeking out other things. Like I said, just smaller scale, probably school oriented, I think, and uh, a little bit more in line with resource based economy, I think would be great. Hmm. Um, what do you actually do for the eco villages? Like, what do they bring you on to do? Yeah, so I mentioned like all the different phases, right? So as an electrical engineer and doing the, the work I do, I can definitely build a lot of the green tech and other stuff. Um, it's a little bit more interesting um, in Canada to a little more challenging. You kind of need a bit more engineering skills to do that, like I said, instead of just a few bamboo sticks. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like I'm involved in many like uh, kind of communication practices and other things of team building and just like planning regarding the systems theory and other other things um that we can get into but uh, so yeah just high level architecting but then again like i said my long-term vision is uh that wisdom school or just uh an education center hmm. i see um like in my experience a lot of these people that were on these teams are very like multi talented and you know a lot of them are you know create retreats or other uh things but they're also you know had their own side jobs or an artist and, and just definitely a, it's interesting because the, the old model was very much about like specialize in this and, mm. and like you know mm. work for this company or whatever and mm. i think the new model is diversity in your skill set hmm so people take on different wear different hats in the project mm-hmm. does everyone sort of clean too or do you have like would there be like designated <laughs> janitors too? Yeah, that's a big uh, joke for a while of like clean up your dishes and like yeah. that's the the motto. Like, yeah. So people clean up after themselves. They don't have a sort of like a serving job type person in those villages. I think that's good. Yeah, like you know, a lot of the villages, especially in Central America, say what you want about it, but like they're going to hire locals mm. for for certain things and. Mm. Um, there's a it's, a it's affordable but um yeah it depends there's so many different models and i'm by no means versed in actual communal living i'm just like in the realms of like designing and architecting these things hmm. i haven't really had much experience hmm. i see do you think it, w- it could get annoying for you you said you're an introvert yeah um i think there's a good benefit of having your own space and having like an eco village that still tends or like works with well with introverts and you have your own space, uh, whether that be your own house or not having to go to communal meals. Mm. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see that as a problem, but yeah. Hmm. I'm, I'm also like more of a ambivert or extrovert in the right circles than introvert when I'm not in the right circles. Sure. But are you one of those people who after a lot of social interaction they need some quiet decompression time. Yeah. And mostly I think I just realized this recently that it's because I'm like highly creative and just need to create things in many, many avenues. So um, yeah, I just find that's where I get my energy and um, yeah, excitement from and like uh, motivation from. So, so maybe it'd be different if I'm like actively creating and have a good solid team doing something good hmm cool 
Well, you've made me very curious about eco-villages. Maybe I should try looking one up in my area and seeing if I could... I actually think I know of one. I have. I know someone who... I don't know if it's an eco-village or, or if it's commune, and I'm not... I'm still not sure if I... If I'm aware of where the distinction sort of begins between those two things, like is the eco village sort of like what makes it eco? Where does the eco word come from? Is it? It's not just marketing, right? Yeah, I, I, I imagine it's from like the permaculture incentive that I've typically seen with most of them, and just yeah, not just the minimalism, I guess, and not using. Uh, Various things that kill the earth. Okay, so generally speaking, an eco village should, should have some sort of farming aspect to it. Yeah, like a, we're in a sense we're trying to aim towards being sovereign in our own right. value system, our own culture, and, and stuff. So definitely, the food sovereignty is a big part of that. Like when you say permaculture, what what does that mean? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I mentioned how it's very in line with systems theory. So for a while, I was like, oh, maybe I should put more energy into this realm. But um, there's a big resurgence in uh, permaculture, and everyone seems to be uh, hopping on that bandwagon, which is great. So uh, um, I've more or less just said, okay, I have my own thing more in terms of education, cognitive science, and engineering that I'm not really going to focus on permaculture. But um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm seeing it through the lens of systems theory, and there's a tons of insights about that but uh but what 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 actually is it i don't actually know i think right. i know but i, I want you to yeah. spell it out for me <laughs> yeah I, I can say what i what i know of it is sure that's kind of what i'm saying but um it, the word comes from permanent agriculture um, right it's kind of questionable what permanent really means and, and the attention of that um but it's also like permanent culture as in like it's not just about agriculture um there's a lot of insights you can get about just human organization um but yeah, there's just several different uh, kind of ways of thinking and um, ways. Of, it's just, again, it's just systems theory, like recognizing the interdependence of things and um, and how you can't use like one metric. Uh, you can't just be like focused on like monocrop, right? You want like full diversity and like some things will put nitrogen into the ground. So you want to do that. Some things provide shade. And once you can find the convergence of like and this is my system, this is my specific bioregion I'm in, and these are the things that grow, and then these are the features of it. Like I said, the, the nitrogen or the shade or, or whatever other features all these plants provide. Hmm. And um, all the timing with that of like, if you're trying to start a food forest, like they call it, um, there's just a, a science to it. Hmm. Interesting. Does, does animal husbandry also take place? Yeah, like livestock. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I I don't know if it really like classifies under permaculture, but um, they're, they're definitely part of the ecosystem and a valuable resource. But, you know, like um, livestock is like killing off the Amazon forest and all this right. stuff too. And, and yeah. also like so, soy is doing that as well. And like huh. um, the problem is this one size fits all, right? This model right. crop that uh, just kills diversity because we think for some reason that we're, uh, creating more value by by doing this monocrop but we're really just like stealing from a vast amount of wealth and, and stuff from the future generations when we do that so. mm, i hear you yeah it's hard though to like do you think it's possible to feed all seven or eight billion people on this earth without doing this kind of agriculture at least to an extent without doing well oh, without doing monocrop yeah um, well, I think it's like highly sustain unsustainable to be feeding seven to eight billion people with like livestock and especially beef. Sure, um, sure, no argument like there. Reason. But you mentioned, for example, soy. Like people, if they sub if they have to cut out, I mean, if they cut out beef, I guess they could substitute it with other meats. But still, like if you're cutting out meat, you have to you have to replace that protein with something else, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it's, it depends how you ask the question because like right now the way seven or eight billion people looks is like they're living in cities, which is that necessary for seven, eight billion people? Maybe. And then if you live in a city, you need to like ship in hmm. all your stuff and, and be non-resilient non in that way. Um, hmm. Do you think it would be, I mean, I'm just asking, but do you think it would be better for the earth? People were more spread out evenly across the arable surfaces 
or is it better for the earth that people are actually mostly condensed in big cities and that there's not as much people living in rural settings? Yeah, it's very hard to like measure the the impact. Like some people say that the city is a lot less resource intensive because um, everything's right there. But then at the same time, other people say it's more resource intensive. Um, yeah, like definitely want to leave the the natural areas for for species to develop. But yeah, there's so many aspects to that. Um, it's kind of interesting. So like I have a few videos um, that kind of talk about this and. Yeah, I don't know. Like we were projected to like plateau in population, right? Yeah. Um, and so there's that trend, which is like completely changing our economic system because our economic system is based on the fact that we're like increasing in population, mm. which is essentially why this like Ponzi scheme of capitalism work, right? Like <laughs> musical chairs. Oh, we'll, we'll just have one more person born and then we can continue inflating. Um, so like with that alone, we know in our lifetime that something's going to change like radically, like um, so whether it's our economic system or we just, you know, have a very chaotic and dangerous future for, for human life. So anyway, that, that's one trend, mm. but there's also the trend of like, from our industrial revolution, we went from 80% living rurally to, um, 80% now in the, in the cities. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and it seems like potentially that trend will reverse or, you know, we'll see this like mass exodus from cities, which a lot of people are talking about. I feel like it's already started. I'm one of them. Maybe you are too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And whether that's because of the internet, I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, I I think it's a good shift. Yeah, it depends who you ask. I think a lot of the locals uh, in some of these jurisdictions where the housing market has gone up quite a bit, like the housing market issues used to be mostly in big cities, and now a lot of people living in smaller towns are finding homes unaffordable for them because people are leaving the big cities, selling or cashing out their home there and driving up the price of real estate in like smaller jurisdictions. So there is a little bit of resentment, and I've, I've sort of, I sort of um, personally have noticed that I, I do sort of tiptoe around certain topics related to this because I, I think some people might see me as part of that problem. I've experienced that a lot. Like the BC village was uh, going to be in that Nelson area. And that was the, the theme I got a lot of. Everyone was saying that that area is getting really expensive. Mm. Where did you end up putting it? So it's interesting because I felt like Nelson was really uh, like in the similar vein. And there's a lot of interesting culture and stuff there. So I was pretty excited about that. Um, but they ended up being in Clearwater, BC. So farther north. Okay. North of Kamloops. Oh, north of Kamloops. Okay. How far uh, to Kamloops, roughly, if you're driving? Two hours. Two oh, hours. it's pretty far. <laughs> it's pretty out there. <laughs> yeah. So how is that project going now? Is Are people starting to move in? Or like, where where is it in its like progress, I guess? Yeah, they got land. Um, the team has been like fluctuating in size. Um, fairly small. I think too small for how ambitious the project was. But um Maybe I'll touch base with them again. I haven't uh, really checked in to see the progress in the last close to a year now. So Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed our chat. It's been really illuminating. It's really kind of unlocked this idea of um, alternative ways of living because I have been sort of seeking that myself. I lived in a I don't know if this what this count if this <laughs> meets the definition of eco village, but I lived in a yoga ashram for three months uh, recently. I mean, I guess like in the over the winter, um, from about like oct- like end of October until like mid January or so. And uh, so I does that I don't know. It's like a yoga ashram, but I did a lot of chores. Like I was doing like I guess karma yoga. I was um, <laughs> I was. Uh, doing a lot of groundskeeping, doing, working in the garden. They grow a lot. I think 30% of their own food that they feed the people there is grown just by themselves. Um, yeah, I guess that's another important thing I didn't fully touch on. Um, it kind of ties in with like this re- retreat model or all these different models. And um, that pretty much is 
a version of eco village at least in more of the, the retreat model okay like i don't know if there's people that are really living there long term there are but, um, there are but it's also a lot okay. of people on retreats too yeah so there's like you know a few week retreat or some people will stay for like months and, and really dedicate a bit more time but um yeah i don't know like those are great and i think they're great ways to introduce people to it and um yeah a lot of good value and maybe to put energy in like the capital uh to, to build these things uh, but my focus right now is more like long-term uh long-term stays to actually create like a new culture to actually create new systems that are fully viable yeah like a real community a self-sufficient mm -hmm. community mm -hmm. how many people do you think you need to have in an eco village for that yeah i'm not sure if it's entirely like a minimum but i actually think there's more of like a maximum uh, uh there's a classic Dunbar, Dunbar number of 125 or 150 people that you can like interact with face-to-face -face and remember them and um, it just creates this social bonding, right? Right. Like going beyond that, it changes the dynamic. Huh. Um, so, I, you know, as an engineer and as doing this like simulation stuff, there's a lot of uh, work in um, like digital twins um, and you can do digital twins for smart cities. So I was like, potentially thinking about going into that that realm um I'm sorry what's a, cities are, what's a digital twin it's when you have like a all your sensors and like the all the infrastructure kind of mapped into the digital as well so you know when like things fail and you mm. just have a i don't know a full it's like metaverse of what the the city is um so anyway, it's an interesting field, but it also like bridges this, the, you know, there's so many lines, even with eco villages or, or smart cities, there's these lines of like borderline authoritarianism and surveillance state. And um, there's ways you can do it amazingly and it can be like, uh, you know, but there's also ways of just really doing it wrong. So um, yeah. yeah, smart cities are in that larger scale, which is just interesting. Yeah. Huh. What what's a what's an example of like a a smart a smarter city? Like China has tried to just like say down like just plot, plot this is a city we're building all the infrastructure from <laughs> right scratch, right which tends to be like you know they're like oh let's make it all high tech and integrated it's cool but then it's like it's not immersion it's not actually a city like um, I know we don't have that much time left here but uh, Jeffrey West has a book called Scale and uh, it's brilliant and he describes how like everything evolves over time. Um, from natural organisms and like everything from bacteria to humans and, and other animals, right? And it shows how with like how things scale and how things die and all this all these processes, right? And it shows how a city essentially scales like natural natural organisms. So in a way, like a city kind of exists, whereas like he mapped that same scale over like um, corporations and nation states, which are kind of in that same realm, but they like don't evolve at all like cities. So. Mm. So what I'm saying is like a city's emergent, it exists, it's like a living, breathing thing. Nations and corporations are just like intellectual myths that we've created, right? So to think you can just like immediately plop the city and think it's going to be fully integrated is, is kind of laughable. Sure, sure. Although I've been in some of these, like I lived in Shenzhen briefly, which is right on the border of Hong Kong. It was built from scratch in the 70s, basically. It was a small fishing village. It, they made it into a special economic zone and it became pro like one of the top five biggest uh, cities and biggest economies, like city economies in, in the country. It's a beautiful city. Um, it's not really sustainable. Like it is car centric, but almost all Chinese cities are these days. But as far as Chinese cities go, it's probably my favorite as a place to live. Yeah. They could be functional, but it's just like a hit or miss, I guess, if they're gonna if they're gonna work or not in terms sure. of like the actual culture. Yeah, long term. Yeah, and the best parts of that city are the sort of the the oldest parts that were that were sort of already there. At least the the bones of them were already there before they started building. The rest is sort of a grid layout. Um, not my favorite, but yeah, you have uh, another meeting coming up, so I won't keep you. Um, is there anything else you want to mention before, before we let you go? Yeah. Like I've talked about very complex things from resource-based economy and spiral dynamics or systems theory, uh, even a bit of like cognitive science and how these eco villages pop up. So, um, there's a lot of depth to get into and maybe we'll do more in the future, but I do actually deep dive into all these topics on my, my YouTube channel. Uh, it's called being untamed. So maybe, uh, 
yeah, I'll link it in I'll link it in the description and hopefully you can pass along some of the links to the other thinkers that you and and I think it was mostly thinkers you mentioned and I'll I'll link those in the description too if anyone wants to look them up. I know I will. <laughs> Sounds pretty cool. For sure. All right, Mr. Octopus. Go swim to your next meeting. Have a nice day. Thank you. Thanks for joining. Mr. Cat. (laughs) Bye for now. Thank you.